appreciate it. Hey, good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? It's good to see you. Hey, if you ordered your new Grace Hill swag, uh, make sure you go into the lobby and pick it up today. Uh, the Connect team has it, and so you can go get all of that today. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. It's been uh, beautiful weather. I've spent my entire weekend at baseball games, and so got lots of, lots of sun uh, yesterday. I hope you're enjoying it uh, as well. Hey, uh, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here, so if you're new with us, we're just really glad that you're here. I'd love to meet you uh, afterwards in the lobby. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Last week, I said we were jumping into the Psalms for several weeks over the summer, and through the years, uh, we will just take some time to uh, preach through a few psalms, and, and hopefully we'll get to all 150. I don't know, maybe somewhere in the 2030s or something like that. Um, but last week we started with Psalm chapter 1, and this week we uh, are going to be in Psalm chapter 2. And thanks to Tori Watson for uh, the photography. Um, like I said, we're going to be having different artists in the church uh, do the artwork for each of the psalms as we preach through them, so we're excited to compile those um, as well, and hopefully as we read the psalm and try to understand what uh, we're uh, reading, you'll, you'll understand the purpose behind the photography. So last week we did Psalm 1, and Psalm 1, I told you, uh, acts as a preface to the entire Psalter. So the psalms, all 150 of them, are a collection of prayers and songs to God. And Psalm 1 acts as a preface. It's, it's giving us kind of the why behind the Psalms. Why, why were these written? Why are people singing to God? Why are they praying to God? And, and what purpose uh, does it fill in our lives? And so we saw in Psalm 1 a, a pattern that the rest of the Psalms are going to adhere to. Psalm 1, what did it ask? It asked the question, who is blessed? And it told us that the one who is blessed is one who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night. And so we, we spent some time talking about meditation. And I said, so here's what we're gonna see in the Psalms. We're gonna see these people, most of the Psalms were written by David, but there are others as well. But these people coming to God with complete honesty, like, Lord, here's where I'm at. Like, God, I'm really grateful for you today. God, I'm really thankful for all the blessings in my life. God, I'm really angry with you today. God, I'm really angry with that person today. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. One of the things I like to say is the Psalms are all over the place because we're all over the place. And Psalms always start with honesty, going to the Lord with where we're at. And then you'll see this pattern move into meditation where the psalmist will then begin to meditate on the truth of God's word. And in that truth of God's word, we'll find solace or delight or answers to their question, whatever it is. And that's the pattern that we're gonna see in the Psalms. And of course, that's going to apply to Psalm chapter two. And so as we read that, I think you're gonna see this pattern emerge. Now, Psalm chapter two is an interesting psalm because the psalmist starts by basically looking at the world and going, why is the world the way that it is? Let me ask you, when you look at the world, I mean, and you look at all of the different things that are going on 
around the world, either close to home or far away from home, are you left feeling encouraged or are you left feeling a little anxious? I mean, we could mention, obviously, the conflict in Ukraine and Russia. We could talk about tensions rising between China and Taiwan and the implications that that would have for our country. We could talk about civil wars in Sudan, Libya, Central African Republic, Yemen, Syria, and Myanmar, terrorism in the Middle East and in Africa. We could talk about the the genocides that are occurring in Ethiopia, North Korea, China. We could look at the polarization that we see in our own country, the, the moral decline that we see within our own country. It's easy to look around the world and go, God, why do so many people seem to be against you and against your ways. God, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering around the world? And then, and then to ask the question, like, what do I do with that? How do I respond to the realities that I see all around me? And this is the exact question that Psalm 2 is trying to answer. If you go to Psalm chapter two, let's just read the first three verses. Here's the honesty that David is gonna bring to the Lord. Psalm two, verse one. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So from the outset, one of the reasons why I'm thankful for the honesty of the Psalms is that they help us to understand that we're not alone. That this experience of looking around the world and seeing all of the conflict, seeing all of the evil and suffering and going, I'm overwhelmed by it. I don't know what to do with this. That's not a new experience for humanity. And it's not a new experience for, for any of us. All throughout history, people have looked across the world and seen what they have seen and go, why is this here? What, what does this mean for me? It's not a new experience. And so David, and, and by the way, just so you know, um, a lot of Psalms have a little bit of a prelude that give us some information about the author and the context of the Psalm. Psalm 2 doesn't have that, but we know that David wrote Psalm 2 because Acts 4 tells us that David wrote that psalm, and we'll, we'll go and look at Acts 4 here in just a, a few moments. But as David is writing this psalm, what he's doing is he's observing that the nations and the peoples around him are plotting against and are actively against God and God's people and God's anointed. And this is what these people are saying and doing, these nations. Verse three, what they're saying is, let us burst their bonds apart, I'm guessing that's the people of God, and cast away their cords from us. Now that's, a, that's confusing. Like what, what, is that, what does that mean? So this, this phrase, let us burst their bonds apart, it's actually a pretty common phrase that we see throughout Old Testament. Now what's interesting about this phrase is that it's mostly used to refer to God saving us from our bondage to sin. God saving us from our bondage to the ways of the world. So you don't need to 
write these down, but Jeremiah 2.20, Jeremiah 30, verse 8, Psalm 107, verse 14, Nahum 1, verse 13, all of those verses use this phrase to refer to God bursting the bonds of sin and evil from us. But what's interesting is here in Psalm 2, verse 3, and Jeremiah 5, verse 5, it's referring to the people of the world, the kings, the rulers, bursting the bonds that God has upon us, almost opposite. See, the interesting thing here is the question is, who is your Lord, right? You can't serve two masters. And so the Bible refers to whoever's our Lord as we're kind of in this bondage to them. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. So when we are in bondage to the world, bondage to sin, that's obviously a, a bad thing. And God rescues us by bursting those bonds from us. But the Bible also refers to when we follow Christ, when we are giving our allegiance to God, submitting to God, that that, that is a sort of a good bondage. It will use the same terms as bonds. The Lord has these bonds upon us. And what this is saying is that the nations and the peoples and the world is plotting against God's people to break the bond that God has upon us. In other words, they don't want us to follow God. They don't want us to believe in his word. That's a threat to them. So if you notice where it said, let's break the cords, their cords that are around us, this reality that there are a group of people who believe there are, is a creator who's in control of all things and has given us his word and we have pledged allegiance to that creator. We have said, yes, I'm gonna follow this creator. That's a threat to the kings of the earth and yes, they are going to actively plot to break those because they're threatened by someone having more power than them. And so this is what the kings of the earth are doing. And have you ever felt that? Not just that the world is scary and look at all these scary things happening around me, but that the world is against what you believe. The world is against and wants you to stop believing what you believe. Honesty is what David's doing. God, here's what I see. Here's what I feel. Here's where I'm at. Honesty. We feel it. David feels it. So we're going to take that to the Lord, right? It's now time to meditate. If we follow our pattern, we now meditate on God's word. But many times, we talked about this last week, right? That's not always the first place we go to when we're feeling stuff like this, when we're feeling fear and anxiety. Meditation on God's word usually isn't our first step sometimes, right? Many times we'll go meditate on something else, right? Fox News, CNN, social media. Maybe we'll take all of that energy and direct it at criticizing someone who has a different perspective than us. I, I, I don't know. There's lots of things we'll go meditate on to somehow deal with this anxiety we feel, but the Psalms give us the pattern of we go and we meditate on God's word, right? Psalm 1. Who is blessed? The one who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. We go to God's word. So this is what David does, verse four. David has been honest with the Lord, verse four. He says, he 
who sits in the heavens. So he's talking about God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them, the kings and rulers of the earth, in derision. You know, I was, it's funny. I was meditating on this earlier this week. I was on my back deck. It was beautiful weather this week. So I was on my back deck, and I had Bible open, my journal out, just kind of praying through, preaching through Psalm 2. And there's this bird building a nest in the tree in my backyard, and this bird kept on flying down to the deck railing and yelling at me, right? I mean, it wasn't like a peaceful chirp. It was like a shriek at me. So I'm guessing it had babies in the, in the bird's nest, and it was telling, like probably I interpreted it as go away, right? You're a threat. And I'm thinking, this is my backyard. This isn't your backyard, right? But hey, I welcome you. Build your nest, right? It's great. Live. I, you're, I'm of no threat to you. But this bird is yelling at me, and I'm, I'm reading this in Psalm 2, and I kind of chuckled to myself. It's so funny. Like the kings of the earth, the rulers of the world, they're kind of like this bird. They think they have power. They can be loud. But the Lord laughs at them and holds them in derision. Why? Because he's in control. And so David is meditating on this. He's reminding himself of the Lord who's in the heavens. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to remind himself specifically of the promises that David, I'm sorry, that God gave to David. Let's just read the rest of the psalm, verse 5. Then he, God, will speak to them, the kings and rulers of the earth, in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king. That's King David. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, David saying, this is what God said to me. David, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You, David, shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, the king, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. David's rehearsing these things that God had said to him. He is referring to himself throughout this song. Uh, if you look at verse two, where it says that the kings of the earth have set themselves against his anointed, David's referring to himself. If you look at verse six, as for me, I have set my king on a holy hill. He's referring to David. In verse seven, when he refers to, you are my son, today I've begotten you. He's referring to David here. David is meditating on the fact that God has promised that as king of Israel, his reign, David's reign, would last forever. This is 2 Samuel chapter seven, the Davidic covenant, where God comes to David and he says, I have set you on your throne, you are a son to me. He calls him a son, and he says, your kingdom will last forever. No one will be able to threaten it. And David knew this. David didn't expect to live forever. He, he, he didn't take that to think that he was gonna be immortal. He knew, though, that his kingdom, 
would last forever because David knew that his kingdom was a representation of God's kingdom. That, that the authority that David had as king was a delegated authority. That, that he himself had power and authority because God, who has all power and authority, gave it to him. And that in comparison, the kings and the rulers of the earth and all the other kingdoms were about as strong as that piece of pottery behind me. That they would crumble if that's what the Lord would will. And so David He's looking at the world and he meditates on how God is in control. God is the one who truly has authority and power and he has a plan. The question for David in this Psalm as he writes it out is, do you trust it? David, do you trust in what God has said to you in 2 Samuel 7? Do you trust the promises that God has made? And we read of times where David struggled to trust that. And we also read about how all of Israel throughout all of the rest of the Old Testament struggled to trust that God was their true king. And that despite all the chaos of the world, he was in control. Now, fast forward about a thousand years from this psalm to the early church. And the early church is facing a particular situation where they're gonna have to ask themselves the exact same question. Do I trust it? Do I trust that God's in control and that he is sovereign? See, if you go over to Acts chapter four, you'll read about how Peter and John were preaching the gospel. This is in Jerusalem, right? The early church just began and they got arrested by the authorities and they got beaten and questioned and imprisoned for a little bit for preaching the gospel. And then they, they finally got out and, and they ran over to be with their church family in the midst of that. And their church family is asking these questions that Psalm 2 is asking. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Why are people against us? So like, think about what they have just experienced. Their two main church leaders were arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel. And they had just watched the crucifixion of Jesus and his brutal murder. And they're asking the same question. Why do the nations rage? Look at Acts 4, start in verse 23. It says, when they were released, that's Peter and John, they went to their friends, their church, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Look at that. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, you have power, you have authority, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, now they're gonna quote Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, quote, quote there, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Roman officials, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So notice that they're realizing it's not just the Gentile nations, the Romans that are plotting against us. No, God, it's your people, it's the Jews as well, who are plotting against us. 
Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The early church was doing the same thing. God, why is all of these people against us? Why all the chaos? And what do they do? They go to Psalm chapter two. They did the same thing David did. Went to the Lord with honesty and meditated on what the word of God had to say. And then they were emboldened in Psalm two. And I want you to see this. I love this. Because in here, we're gonna get a little lesson on how to do biblical interpretation. This is great. Like Acts 4 interprets, preaches Psalm 2. It makes my job really easy. But if you look in Psalm chapter 2, look at, or sorry, look at Acts 4, 27. They just quoted Psalm 1 and 2. Uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Then they say, Acts 4, 27, for truly in this city, so they're applying the Psalm to their context, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. How do they interpret the anointed in Psalm 2-2 to their context in Acts 4-27? Did you, did you see that they didn't see the anointed as just David? They saw the anointed as Jesus himself, And then you remember things like, oh yeah, that's right, Mark chapter one, Jesus went to go be baptized and the Holy Spirit descends and as he's coming out of the water, the heavens crack open and God thunders from the clouds. That is my son whom I love. And then we begin to realize that in Psalm chapter two, that God has not forgotten his promise to David that his kingdom would last forever because Jesus himself, the son of David, has taken his throne. And that's what the people in Acts chapter four are reminding themselves of, is that these promises to David did not go silent. They didn't go into the grave with David. But Jesus Christ has come and he is the son of God. He is the anointed. He is the one who has taken the throne of David. And yes, they witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus, but they also witnessed his resurrection. God's promises are true. Jesus is alive. He sits on the throne that is going to last forever and it will no longer ever be threatened by the pathetic kings of the earth who bloat in rage against him. So they're looking at the resurrection and they're saying everything God promised in Psalm 2 is true because Jesus is now on the throne and because of his resurrection, he's on the throne forever. And so fast forward 2,000 years to today. And we, as the church, have to ask the same question. Do we trust it? David had to ask it in Psalm 2, okay, do I trust what God said? 
Acts chapter four, they had to ask the same thing. Okay, do we trust what God said? And they saw the fulfillment of it in the resurrection. And then we have to ask the same question as the church today. We're no different than those believers gathered in Acts four. Do we trust it? Verse 12, Psalm two says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. How do we take refuge in the Psalms and the truth of what God's word says to us today? Now, we get some specific commands in Psalm 2, verse 10 to 12, right? Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry. These are some specific commands, but they're addressed specifically to the kings and the rulers of the earth. That you, with authority, you need to serve the Lord with your authority. You need to tremble because your authority is delegated. Those aren't commands to us. Are we commanded in other places to be wise and serve the Lord? Yes. But here in Psalm 2, we're called to take refuge. And what does that mean? What does that mean to take refuge in the sovereignty, in the, in, in the kingship, and the authority of God? And, and I simply think that means trust his sovereignty. This is exactly what they did in Acts 4. Just read verse 28 with me one more time. Acts 4. So in verse 27, right, they're interpreting Psalm 2. They're, they're, they're realizing that, yes, Pontius Pilate and Herod and, and, and the people of Israel are all plotting against us. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The, the people of the early church knew that all of what was happening, even the evil and suffering, was not out of God's control and was actually all underneath his sovereignty. Go over to 1 Corinthians, just for a second. Chapter 2. Look at this, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Look at what Paul says. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of the, this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age understand this. So Paul's saying there's this like secret wisdom that God had put in place before time began and the rulers and the kings of the earth have no idea about it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love them. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying right here that God allowed the kings and the rulers of the earth to think that they had power all the while he was using them to accomplish his purposes for his glory and to their demise if they reject him as king. That God is able to take everything that is happening around us and he's able to use it for our good. And the people of the early church in Acts chapter four were aware of this. 
They just witness the resurrection of Jesus and they're like, oh, it's all coming together. Look at how God has orchestrated the events of history to this point. And as they were in the midst of their own suffering and chaos, that is what they meditated on for them to understand that no, God is sovereign and he is in control. See, having faith in the sovereignty of God allows us to have settled hearts in a world of chaos. Uh, you know, I'm sure many of you are aware, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tim Keller passed away. And uh, if you're not familiar with who Tim Keller is, he was pastor and author, writer, theologian. And uh, if you haven't read any of his stuff, you should, go read it. He passed away a couple of weeks ago, so I was thinking through um, many of the ways that he's influenced me. I didn't know him, but just his writings and works. And uh, I remembered a moment in a podcast that I was listening to with him. Uh, Russell Moore, it was Russell Moore's podcast. He works for Christianity Today. And he was interviewing Tim Keller. I think it was about a year ago. And at this point, Tim Keller had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, which is a deadly, deadly, deadly form of cancer. He knew that his time was limited and he passed away a couple of weeks ago from that. But I want you to see this one clip. Russell Moore asked him this question. He asked him, what encouragement would you give to people who look at the world around them and just have anxiety and fear? What encouragement would you give as someone who knows that he's dying? I want you to listen to this real quick. Okay, uh, let me just say something that Kathy and I have talked to each other about in the last year. If Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, if he really got up, walked out, was seen by hundreds of people, talked to them, if he was raised from the dead, then you know what? Everything's going to be all right. Mm. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. Mm. Uh, because, because you got to remember, we're not just talking about resurrected people. Jesus Christ is, and this is where Christianity is unique, we're talking about a resurrected world, meaning other, uh, there's plenty of other religions that talk about a future afterlife, which is a non-material world. In other words, you get a consolation for the world we've lost. Mm -hmm. Christianity says it's not just your bodies are being resurrected, but the, the world is actually going to be a material world that's cleansed from all evil and suffering and, uh, and sin. And if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then the whole world is going to be, in a sense, resurrected, mm. and everything is going to be okay. Mm. Everything. You don't even you don't know how. I don't know how, but it will be. So, uh, and you know what? Actually, it would, right now I couldn't possibly be convinced that Jesus was not raised from the mm. dead, either intellectually or existentially. So, whenever I'm, and by the way, but Kathy and I, listen, we cry. We had, we, we cried a lot last mm. night. Sometimes the reality of the shortness of what we have left here just overwhelms us. And we were just weeping together and, and crying. And then you say, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it is going to be okay. And then you can wipe your tears, but you don't stop mm. crying. Uh, it's like salt in the wound that keeps the wound from going bad. Mm. Uh, that keeps the wound from getting infected. But it doesn't mean that until the end of, you know, until we actually meet Jesus Christ, we, we still have our wounds. So they aren't going to be healed, but they'll be healed by his. So I think I still could. Yeah, I would still go back to if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he was, you're going to be okay. 
I love that. He gave the pattern. Honesty. Meditation on God's word. Delight in the sovereign care of God. Like that's how we trust God's sovereignty. It's what the early church did. And you notice they did it together. Honesty. You know, he, Tim, he's not, he's not hiding his tears. He's not hiding his sadness over what he's suffering with. He's not saying, I'm okay with this. No, honesty. Meditation on God's word. And delight in his sovereign care. And the early church went to Psalm 2. Remember the resurrection of Jesus. Said everything's going to be okay. Jesus came. He went to the cross to forgive you of your sins and reconcile you with the Father. So there is no longer any shame. You are free to approach your king without any fear because of what Christ has done on the cross. And then he rose again from the dead so he could take the throne for all of eternity. And he will reign for all of eternity. Everything is going to be okay. And one day Jesus will return. And scriptures tell us that he is going to rid this world of all of evil and suffering. And we will live in a material world here with our bodies for eternity with none of that evil and suffering. Everything's going to be okay because he's sovereign. And whenever the kings of the earth and the rulers of the world try to flex their muscle, he just laughs at them in derision because he has a plan. Everything is going to be okay. And if you don't know Christ, and maybe you're trying to even wrestle through your own faith. Maybe you grew up believing in Jesus or, or saying you did, and, and maybe you're not so sure anymore, wherever you're at. One of the things I want you to know is there is a reason why Jesus hasn't returned yet to do that. That's a, that's a question that we as Christians wrestle with a lot. Jesus, like, what is the holdup? You look at the suffering around the world, and you go, Gee, like, just come back now. Rid the world of sin and suffering today. There's a reason why he hasn't. And and the Bible tells us the reason is because there are still folks that he wants to be good with, right with, before he does that. It's his patience, his loving patience for you that he hasn't returned yet. He wants you to confess your sin to him Believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. Trust that he rose again from the dead and is king, and he wants you to follow him. He wants you to to take his bonds upon you. That's Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy, he says. He wants us to follow him. Trust him, make him our Lord, understand his sovereignty, trust that he's gonna return. But he hasn't yet because of his patience. 
And so my question for you is, do you trust it? Do you trust in him? Do you trust in what Christ has done? Do you trust that he is sovereign? Because if the world gets overwhelming, then what you're invited into is honesty. Take all of that to the Lord. Let's do it together. Meditate on his word and be reminded that he's in control. Let's pray. Father, just, I'll probably say this every time we preach a psalm, that I'm just so grateful for the psalms that remind us that we are not alone in our fears, we're not alone in our anxieties, we're not alone in our anger, we're not alone in looking at the world and wondering if you're in control or not. David had those questions. The the early church had those questions. And God, we do as well. We're just thankful that your word guides and directs us to the truth that Jesus Christ is on the throne, that he rose again from the dead. He's alive. And nothing that happens is outside of his sovereign control. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust that. Like a little child, trust their mommy and daddy to take care of them. Help us to trust you. Not needing to have every question answered. But just looking through history and looking at your word and being reminded that you are good. And you're gonna work all things to the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We ask these things in Christ's name.